someone listening right now, in the next 30 minutes after you've stopped listening to this podcast, you can make a choice, you really can, to make one small step in one area of your life in the right direction. You can choose to do that. Welcome to Season 2 of Voices of Value, a conversation between Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton and their high-achieving guests from professional sport, Olympians, business leaders, and ordinary people with value hacks to share through simple life lessons. If you're keen to reach your next level personally and professionally, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Rick and Peter. Voices of Value, and it is Season 2. This is Peter Kakos with my good friend Rick Rushton. Rick, we're in season two. And they said it would never last. Mm. But it has. Who said that? Uh, I don't know. Them, they, the others, <laughs> all our opponents. <laughs> no, it is exciting to be back, mate, for another season. What a great season one was. I mean, we had so many great thought leaders. And we've got a very special guest back for season two's opening episode one. Uh, really one of the highest rated respondents we had from our chat last season. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get Nathan Buckley, but we got this person, so I think that's important. I think it's also good to uh, to let everyone know, in case you don't already know, that we're uh, we're actually going to be on YouTube now, yeah. and uh, you can actually get on and watch this live on YouTube. Watching where the magic happens. I had a great head for podcasting, but now it's gone video that yeah, makes would have me a little bit uneasy. A bit, bit more would have dressed up yeah. a bit more, but anyway, that's good. Yeah, no, that's I mean, okay. It's casual, casual. Casual Friday, Pete. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Anyway, let's talk about our guest, this uh, wonderful man beside us who has, um, look, oh, you've written one book, Rick. Thank uh, you. <laughs> Paul's written 11. Just yeah. want yeah. okay. to make it known, that's all. All right. And that's together 12 more than you. So that's good. I think that's <laughs> only appropriate that we do that. But uh, but no, Paul McGee, for those who don't know, and uh, I'm sure many of you would be aware of the book Sumo, which is an acronym for Shut Up and Move On. Sumo's now in its 14th year since it was publicised. It had a 10th anniversary uh, Golden Seal special edition, which we got as well. I put it on eBay and got 25 bucks for it too, so it was pretty good value for money. But Sumo is a book that sort of realistically put this man in a global sense. So he's now travelled to more than 40 countries sharing the Sumo message. He's in Australia at the moment on a Sumo tour down under. Spoken in Perth, spoke yesterday in Melbourne, has visited uh, family and friends in Brisbane, is sort of about to speak on the Gold Coast uh, coming up in the new week and we grabbed him back to the microphone to have him real raw and live Paul McGee is someone we're very fortunate to call a friend much more than just a, a guest and we've had many guests on this ep- you know these episodes almost 50 now but it's fair to say that we very rarely get the chance to be with somebody who absolutely lights up the room the minute he comes in and his energy is amazing his uh, simple tips are fantastic he's very good at getting the best out of people the best out of groups and teams but today it's all about how we can get better results out of ourselves which I think is fundamentally important Paul McGee welcome to a Voices of Value in the flesh. It is great to be back, guys. I remember when we did the original one, it was, I think it was in January and it was like in, in the UK, cold, dark winter's morning. So I know it's your winter here now, but it's um, beautiful and bright outside and it's great to see you guys in the flesh. Yeah, well, it was great to sort of sit down before we started recording, just really just shoot the breeze and just talk. I mean, Paul, you... You've just got a wealth of knowledge and I love to get inside your head and that's what we're going to do today uh, because you've got so much. You don't you don't write 11 books by luck or by chance without having some some really important content and uh, some great life lessons and uh, or as the life hacks as I as you know I love to um, love to sort of tap into. 
But today I already said to Paul that we really want to delve into into the lives of people rather than come from a holistic leadership point of view. We want to look for things that um, people can take immediate action on in terms of having a better life. And if you're having a, a great life already, having an even greater uh, an even greater life. So, um, so Paul, really looking forward to, yeah, to, to tapping into that magnificent mind of yours. And it's fair to say that when you have 11 books published, um, and that's the key word there, Pete, published. I mean, anyone can self-publish, and that's almost like, I think, uh, an email trail with a massive PDF that you send out to friends. But this is something that uh, is on bookshelves. Um, Paul was very kind to show us a photo, which will pop up on the, uh, the website so you can have a look at it. As he flew out from the UK, he went into uh, a bookstore and a whole row of his books were right in front of him, which must make him feel incredibly uh, proud of the work lifetime. Which 14 years of work's gone into that, and I think people need to be aware about that. And these are books on how to succeed with people, how to speak with confidence, how to speak so people really listen, things that give us a bit of a self-esteem boost, which I think is what we, our focus is today. Exactly. Paul, welcome. Over to you. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, when you've written 11 books, the question I guess you could say is, okay, where do we start? Um, and I was, I was speaking at an event recently and someone just said to me, okay, if you did have one piece of advice that you would give anybody, what would it be? And it is, it's difficult to have, nail it down just to one. And so I hope there's a lot of different things we can talk about today. But I think one of the key insights for me is how you get on with people and how you get the best out of life ultimately is all down to how do you get on with you and how do you manage your own relationship? And, I, you know, and Rick will probably know more about this than other people, but, you know, in life I've had, it's been a roller coaster experience in, for me in, in many different ways, particularly in my relationships, sometimes with people close to me. And my big insight is actually sometimes what I thought were challenges in my relationship with other people were actually sometimes challenges in my relationship with myself. Yeah. And um, it's very easy, I think, to always like want to put the blame. And I talk about you get into a way of thinking where you end up being a bit of a martyr and you wear the victim T-shirt and things aren't going well in my relationships or in work or in things to do with my kids or whatever. And when people wear that victim T-shirt, they talk about, I talk about people who like to play the BSE game, you know, blame someone else for everything. And I appreciate that none of us are responsible for things always that happen to us, but we are responsible for how we respond to that. And I would look back on on my life and I'd, I'd also think about some of the talk about in sumo and very much in a lot of my talks is about the conversations you have inside your head, the stories you tell yourself about you, about the world, about other people. And, and I'm very aware that it's very easy for people to slip into something I call faulty thinking, you know, ways of thinking that can um, increase your stress and your anxiety, decrease your confidence and motivation. And so for me, a lot of how I've realized how do you get the best out of your relationship with others and life is you've got to actually start with you, not in some navel gazing way, but in a in an in an honest way. And and in terms of faulty thinking, being aware of what I call your inner critic, highlights your weaknesses, undermines your confidence, being a broken record, so all I do is moan about a problem, or being the martyr and wearing the victim t-shirt. And just stopping and understanding, look, guys. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And and sometimes the way I've looked at life has been through the filters of what I'd call this faulty thinking. 
and um, getting a grip of you and your relationship with yourself, I think can have an, an incredibly profound impact on how you do life and how you do relationships with others. And you talk about the beach ball, Paul, as well. How, how, how would you describe the beach ball principle? Okay, I, I mean, we may cover this, I think, on, in season one. But for me, that whole thing is that you've got this six-coloured beach ball. And if I'm having a conversation now with you, Pete, I'm holding the beach ball in front of us and I'm seeing blue, white and green, but you're seeing the same beach ball, but you're seeing three different colours, red, yellow and orange. And, and it's very easy for me at times to think, well, my perspective is the right perspective. And to assume also that everyone else sees it that way. When actually sometimes people are seeing the beach ball very differently for all kinds of reasons. And if I can stop and understand that and also rather than expect people to behave in a certain way because, well, it's blue, white and green and you should see that. People aren't mind readers. People are actually lousy psychics. Um, so sometimes you've got to communicate your needs, communicate your expectations, and also just appreciate that what pe- what you see is not always what other people see. And certainly when it comes to getting the best out of others, have those beach ball conversations, find out what's going on in their world and what's important to them, and then communicate your perspective as well. I so, love that. I love yeah. that. I, I use that a lot. I use that almost daily, that principle that you shared some time ago. 2008 was the year uh, for, when I first saw it anyway. And I think that's where you would have seen yeah. it too at the platform because I think we were speaking that same year together and um, but I think the other thing there Paul is it does start with your thinking and you've got some real life experiences through that and we want to cover if we've got time the seven C's today and and I think they're really really important to go through but I always remember you sharing with me that model about how you think determines how you feel how you feel determines how you act, yeah. where your actions go, your focus goes, where your focus goes, energy flows, and then you get this sort of repeat model and away you go again. And the best analogy I've ever heard of it, and I wish I could give the person the credit because I, I I, do think this is a really cool saying, but it's like when we drive, anyone who drives slower than us is an idiot. Anyone who drives faster than us is a maniac. And everyone who yeah. drives just like us is perfect. I think that's what you're talking about with the communication, isn't it? Sure. When it comes to that, what I call the tier model or the tier process, I actually, I welcome sceptics to hear what I've got to say. Because I think if we turn up almost like whatever the speaker says or whatever the, the, the man or the woman on stage is saying, I'll just accept it as gospel and it's the truth. I quite like it if people are sometimes, you know, sitting there going, well, is, you know, is there any real validity in this? It's just a bit of hype. And I don't want to give hype. I want to give help. And so I actually like to take a, a quite a logical approach to personal development and also a very realistic approach. So, yeah, the tier model, how I think affects my emotions, which can affect my actions, which can bring about some results. And I talk about that in a lot of different ways. You're going into a situation where, you know, you're thinking straight away, there's, oh, there's going to be conflict here or there's no way I'll be able to do this. I'm not very competent in terms of, you know, technology or I'm never being good at presenting. Straight away, those thoughts are affecting how you feel in your emotions and you're anxious, which influences your actions, your behavior, and you don't get great results. And a great um, thing that's happening in the UK, anything in parts of Australia as well now, in talking about growth mindset, the work of Carol Dweck. And um, I love one of the thoughts within um, growth mindset is no one likes to fail. It's just understandable because if I fail, I look stupid. I mean, I was with um, some friends recently, and their 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 children were there in the um, in the yard, and we were playing. We were playing. Well, I call it football. I think you've got another term for it, soccer. Yeah. Um, and um, what was really interesting, we were having a little bit of a penalty competition, and the younger girl, who was aged about eight, said, "Well, I'm not really good, and if I if I take a penalty, 
I'll probably miss. And and this was profound insight from her. And she said, if I'll, if I'll miss, I'll feel really humiliated and bad about myself. And I'm like, and I, and I kind of like just ch- turned to her and I just went, look, my darling, I said, I'm going to teach you a phrase here, a word, fail. No one likes to fail, but here's the new definition of fail. F-A-I-L. First attempt in learning. If you take a shot and you don't score first, maybe you think, okay, that was the first attempt. And what can I learn from that? And these... These conversations we have with ourselves, you know, if you change your script inside your head, you change your story, you change that narrative, and sometimes you're thinking in a different way, then your emotions are different, your mm. actions are different, you get different results. And I can explain that to the most skeptical person on the planet and give other stories. And ultimately, they start looking at me going, actually, maybe there is something in this after all. Mm. Because we do operate in a, in a, particularly I think in the UK, a lot of cynicism, a lot of negativity and a lot of scepticism about some of this, you know, self-help stuff. And am I going to have white shiny teeth and a white suit? <laughs> uh, and yes, I do. And I also have the smoke machine as well that Rick provides for me. <laughs> so that right. all helps clearly. You know, I mean, but it's just one, I want to get real with people and go, look, this mm. matters. This really is crucial for everybody and for not just adults, but for kids as well hmm. it takes me back to um that uh, chris helder saying i'm not sure if it's chris's or someone else's but i first heard it through chris the most important words we say are to ourselves about ourselves while we're alone by ourselves yeah this inner critic that you said before i think is it can be rather debilitating for us to move forward and take action and in, in whichever area um, of our lives could we talk more about that inner critic sure. and uh and 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 the debilit- debilitating nature of mm. it mm. and how we overcome that yeah, I think it's we've all I think that what I've learned is that you don't get rid of your inner critic. It's 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 always going to be there, but it's a question of how to manage it. Because obviously that we've been wired and we've evolved that no one does want to look stupid and be humiliated. So when this little girl Chloe was saying, I don't want to take a penalty because I may miss, and if I miss, I'll feel humiliated. You, you could argue there's almost a bit of self-protection going on there, because if I don't take the shot, I won't fail. Mm. And therefore, I won't feel a failure. And so, but but it can become, as you rightly say, Pete, it can become debilitating because there are risks and there are opportunities. But sometimes our inner critic wants to keep us, you could say, safe and secure and, and in our own comfort zone. And I think for me, what I like to get people to think about is... The opposite of the inner critic is not oh, self-love. It's like, well, listen more to your inner coach and acknowledge your inner critic where it's coming from. Maybe it's trying to protect you and help you to avoid, you know, looking stupid or making a mistake. But I'm, I, I spoke at a mental health conference in the UK a couple of years ago. And, and one lady said this. Um, she said, you know, we need to have kinder conversations with ourselves. And kinder. and But I would also maybe add a more constructive conversations with ourselves. And the thing is, though, we're very good at coming up with those lines. We need to have kinder conversations with ourselves and everyone like yourselves and myself, we're all nodding in agreement. But perhaps some of your listenings are going, okay, but yes, but how? What what does a kinder conversation actually sound like? And I came up with seven questions to help you sumo um, from years ago and I have them on little postcards. And two of those questions are simply this. Okay, what can I learn from this? And and what would I do differently next time? Mm. Because sometimes I have screwed it up. I have failed. It was bizarre. Recently, we were, were on holiday and my wife, um, Helen, had a frozen shoulder. And so she's struggled with one of the hands to kind of, um, you know, raise a hand in the air. 
which hadn't been too much of an issue. But while we we're on a holiday, we actually had some heat, which we don't get when we're in the northwest of England in Warrington. She wanted <laughs> us to can, like put her hair up in a bunch. And then she's going, so can you just tie my hair up in a bunch and, and put this elastic band in? I've never done this before. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm able to do it. And she's going, it's okay, just give it a go. Well, she ends up just cracking up laughing at my first failed attempt to do it. First thing she says is, you've got to take a photo of this and send it to the kids. Because I just made a huge mess and I'm just getting all tangled up. But then I remember thinking, fail. It was the first first attempt in learning. I've never done this before. Now, in the past, in a critic, you're so cack-handed, you, you know, you've got no manual dexterity, you, you know, and all of a sudden, all these kind of like voices of from the past. I mean, I was, you know, without going into too much detail, but I had a very sort of like psychically, psychologically abusive stepfather. And that voice from the past and his voice and all those, the baggage and beliefs you take on board from your past all can come to the surface. And this is just like me trying to sort my wife's hair. But I'm thinking, listen, you're in a coach. That was the first time you've tried that, Paul. Um, so I have a kind of conversation. Okay, so what I need to do, and Helen was incredibly patient. And I'll tell you, by the end of the flipping week, sorting out my wife's hair, I, I was hoping to open up a hair salon. <laughs> do you know what I mean? On the beach. I was amazing. But it's, it's sometimes you're just going, okay, First attempt in learning. And okay, and what can I learn from that situation? Maybe you've, you had a conversation with one of your children or with, you, with you, your partner um, or a colleague at work and you say, like, oh, I can't believe I said that and I completely forgot about that. Whoa, 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 guess what? You're a human being, you make mistakes. Mm. Um, what can you learn from that? Well, I need to remember so-and-so. And yeah, okay, so what would you do differently then next time? Be a coach, not a critic. And in terms of anxiety and which often the inner critic can fuel and, and people can be overcome and overwhelmed by e- emotions. I, I came up with this little technique that I use in um, myself, right about a self-confidence book and it's the FAT technique, F-A-T. And when you feel anxiety or when you're feeling stressed, the first thing to do is just to acknowledge that feeling. It's not, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. It's just like, Okay. Yeah. And you actually almost having a kind conversation with yourself, constructive. Hmm. I am, I, we are running late to get to the airport here and I am getting anxious. I, so I'm feeling it. And then actually the A is, okay, so this is accept. This is where you're at at the moment. Rather than fight it and start beating yourself up and this is terrible and I can't cope. Feel it, accept it. And then the T, which is almost quite left field. Okay. Thank yourself for, your body almost like saying, okay, you just released quite a lot of adrenaline and cortisol into your system here, which actually is a survival technique. You're not going to get eaten by a woolly mammoth, but you are stressed that you're going to miss your flight. So just be thankful that your body, when it perceives a threat, is acting in that certain way. Feel it, accept it, be thankful, and then go, okay, thanks for trying to help me on that situation, primitive emotional brain. Now I'm going to engage my more logical, rational brain, my more constructive approach and deal with things. And I think we need to demystify a lot of our behaviours and we what we do is we just kind of like, well, I'm an anxious person. I was born a warrior. My mum was a warrier and, oh, I'm hopeless at this. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just you know, f- f- you know, accept and feel, feel that emotion, accept it, be thankful that your body is trying to help you and then think, okay, I need to take a more constructive approach. That's an interesting one, isn't it? When you, when you say, but my mum was a warrior, my dad was a warrior, th- that's who I am. And 
would you say that the person wouldn't be dearly, um, giving a great deal of thought to why it is they're feeling this way or mm-hmm. there is another option as opposed to labelling yourself really quickly mm-hmm. and go, that's just what I do because this is that's it, without thinking, well, hang on a minute, how can we adjust this? How can we make things different? We, we very much, um, you know, our, our family... You know, we, we all, we're all conditioned as human beings, a bit like Pavlov's dog with the ringing of the bell and then salivates because I think the food's coming. We all get conditioned. And one of the thing, ways that we get conditioned is through our upbringing. Mm. And so some of the beliefs that maybe our parents had could have been really positive and empowering. Fantastic. And I know with your kids, you want to build in really positive, empowering beliefs into them. But some of the beliefs that maybe we've acquired – without knowing we've acquired them, haven't always been helpful. And I always say, look, this is not, this is not, let's blame our parents for where people are at in life. Because I don't think most parents are waking up in the morning going, right, what can I do today to screw up my kid's future? <laughs> I mean, all right, Rick's going, oh, hang on a minute, I'm doing. Yeah, but, that's my focus. But, but, I've got but yeah, plan. and you do it. And you, to be honest, you're doing it incredibly well. I think but, so. But that happens. And I think what, because Sumo has an alternative definition, not just shut up, move on, but stop, understand. And move on. Mm. And I think let's just press pause here. Let's stop and understand my behavior. But actually, it's like when people say, well, you know, my problem, when there's conflict with other people, and people sometimes say to me, well, you know, my problem, Paul, I'm, I'm just stubborn. And I'm like, stubbornness is a choice, it's not a medical condition. <laughs> You know, you weren't born. Like, oh well, here's your here's your child. They are seven pounds six ounces. They've got brown hair, blue eyes, and they are stubborn. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not a medical condition, and I think people need to do a lot more stopping and understanding and self reflection. Yep. And we, rather than press pause, we're flipping living life on fast forward yep. all the time, and we're acquiring beliefs without realizing we're acquiring them. And some of those beliefs are not actually putting us in a great place to get the best out of ourselves. And that's what you're opening salvo was about the fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says, I'm born that way. It's my DNA. I can't change. A growth mindset says, that's a behavior that if I actually address it, understand it, acknowledge it, and then move forward with it, I can probably improve it. That's the difference potentially. You are, you're spot on, but then you kind of like think, okay, well, that's flipping obvious. So, which it is, and everything's obvious in hindsight. So, why don't people make that change? And I think one of the reasons... The, the, we, we can be lazy and we get into our comfort zone, which can become a, a, a coasting zone and also a zone of complacency. Because if I am going to have the courage to go, hmm. all right, actually, I could change. Um, I've got some awareness. I've got some knowledge. I could change. But it also requires a little bit of effort on our part to do that and have some honest conversations with ourselves. And some people go, that could make me feel a bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I haven't got the courage to, oh, I'll just stick to who I am. And it's a lot easier to have the fixed mindset that goes, that's just the way I am. Yeah. I mean, bizarrely, I literally had a Facebook message from somebody who said there is a gene in our family that runs through our family called stubbornness. And I don't have it, but my brother does. And I'm like, are we, without realizing it, are we wearing the victim t shirt here yeah. and abdicating personal responsibility for our lives and blaming this fictitious gene? Yeah. You know, and so, but to actually say, one of my first ideas in, in the Sumo book is change your t shirt and that's take a bit of responsibility, stop being the victim and the martyr. And actually that takes some courage and sometimes a little bit of honesty and hard work to go, I need to turn this round. Any other tips for that, Paul, to, to take that courage and to do that? Like 
journaling or how, how would you, what advice would you give to someone who is like, okay, acceptance is there, going to take some courage, I want, I'm want. i going to make these changes. What comes next? Because, uh, you know, we what we resist the most is what we need the most. And I find that um, sitting quietly, hitting pause button, um, meditative, meditative t- uh, techniques, all these things are the biggest resistance items of, of a lot of people, self-included. What would your <laughs> tips be for those um, – I, to get you on the path. I have definitely been a great believer in, 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 in affirmations and not coming up with these cheesy, corny ones. You know, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger, I can take on the world. I mean, that's Rick's affirmations, yeah. but let's not go where me. Rick is. Mm. If you heard him in the bathroom this morning, I wonder what was happening. But anyway, I thought it was an <laughs> I was waiting for him to pass the soap too and he didn't, <laughs> so I was a little bit disappointed, but that's okay. Um, so for me, affirmations were pretty helpful. That's kind of, um, you know, change your conditioner. Um, because some of that conditioning in the past has been those negative voices. So you can't just say, I'm going to stop beating myself up and I'm going to stop being negative. The, the, the brain, our mind abhors a vacuum. It needs something to replace that with. And so for me, it became, okay, and I would sometimes write out certain phrases um, and I would, you know, and say them on a, on a daily, regular basis. Now, to be fair, I've kind of moved away from that now because I am on that journey. And now some of what we do on autopilot without thinking through habit can be really unhelpful but actually you can get into that place where you've built some of these good things into your mind and you think, well, actually I'm now doing this in autopilot without thinking, you know, mm. through habit and it's become really helpful and healthy. So for me, affirmations were a really, really big thing. And then just to have that awareness of, Paul, you are having conversations inside your head here. How's that conversation you're having with yourself? Is it helping you? Is it hindering you? So awareness and affirmations are probably my big two things. But I also, it's a bit like um, Zig Ziglar said, motivation's a bit like having a wash. You need to do it more than once to get the full benefit. So true, yeah. So for me, also one of my big things is manage your mental diet. So I talk about the fact that um, we can consume too much CNN, constant negative news. And it's a question of, so what do I feed my mind with? So I know I'm on this podcast, but I've been a huge fan of the podcast since season one, episode one. And when I'm going for a walk, I'm, I'm feeding my mind with some of the stuff that you're talking about. I'm feeding my mind with various other podcasts. It's almost like I need to take responsibility for what I'm feeding my mind and managing my mental diet. So I think awareness, affirmation, managing your mental diet, all of those are going to put you in such a brilliant place it's like if you want to grow a plant you know you you don't just kind of like just buy a plant and put it anywhere you cultivate the soil you feed it you you find that certain plants thrive in in certain parts of the soil than others and type different types of soil and some prefer shade and some need sunlight so for me it's it's about also creating the right kind of environment to thrive and flourish so that and that environment is very much cultivated by the kind of conversations and beliefs I have inside my head. Then you get a uh, a certain sense of what what sort of fuels you and what drains you. And mm. and I think social media is a, a biggie. And in recent times, and you know, there's people that contact me and say, "Oh, can you believe what this person posted or that?" And it's like, why are you following them? Mm. Like we have choices. Like what we listen to. The best thing I did was stop stop watching the news as well. It's amazing. And even during. Um, just sometimes the, the kids' TV is on or something like that, and then all of a sudden a news flash comes up, and 
it's all negative. Mm. But it's like we have a choice, don't we? We can we can turn that off. We can choose now who we follow and who we don't. Um, but it's almost like we we sort of want to. It gives us that victim mentality, like you, you spoke of. It gives us that excuse, doesn't it? That blame, excuse, denial um, uh, mindset in terms of following people that just don't give us happiness or bring us anything that's really positive. No, and I think you've got to be very careful who you hang out with because the old saying is who you hang out with, you become in terms of your adopt thinking and all those sorts of things. So I tend to stay around fairly positive, upbeat people, except when we've got a guest from the UK who stays in our house. That sort of brings it down <laughs> a little bit. But earlier, Paul, you said self-esteem is so hard in this day and age because everything's so sped up now. And uh, and I think that gets back to your point, Pete, about social media and, you know, um, Pete and I are very passionate about, you know, emotional well-being versus mental health and we've been very fortunate to interview some amazing people mm. in that space on this podcast, as you know. Um, what would be some of the tips you could help our younger listeners or people that are coaching younger people or a young person from the inside out because that's really what today's all about? How do we help them with their sort of inner workings? You've already talked about the way that you, you know, be very careful what you cultivate and all those sorts of things. It's got to be simpler than just get off social media because that's just not going to happen. It's mm. a bit like saying to a teenager, don't breathe in air because you might get some bad toxic air. Well, the reality is you still need to breathe. They're going to be on it. Any advice that you can do that sort of um, you know helps them to navigate through that, protect their self-esteem and continue on their directional journey towards a better version of themselves? I think in many ways, uh, being if I can be completely honest, it is um, a very challenging context for, for teenagers particularly because um, when we're going through puberty and adolescence there is so much changes happening in the brain um, and emotional changes that are happening um, that we're trying to find our sense of identity and our purpose and how do you find your sense of identity by belonging and am I in the in crowd and to be in the in crowd and to be accepted I need to look a certain way and behave a certain way and think a certain way so almost acknowledging that you have that one, okay, this is not an easy ride. This is not Paul McGee's got his top three t- tips and every parent now needs to share this with the children and everything's going to be great. This is a tough one to navigate. And uh, I know as a parent myself and, you know, I've, I've come across children, friends of my own um, children, my, my own children's friends who've gone through some serious stuff. And um, people have said to me, can you have a chat with them about things? And and some great environments in which children have grown up in, and yet they have struggled. And mm. I think it's happening more and more. So I think the first thing to say is, let's not pretend that there is this really simple answer that everyone's missing, because I don't believe there is. I think, though, one of the things that maybe as a parent, or as a friend, we need to keep doing for children is, one, understand they are on a journey here and that there are actual changes happening, structural changes happening in their brain, that we have a natural tendency, not a wrong tendency, but a natural one to find our place in life. We we do want to compare ourselves with others. Mm. That is a, is a natural thing to do. But as I write in one of my books, the problem is with social media is you compare your unedited life with with the life of with the edited lives of other people and i know i've got to be perfectly honest if if i'm posing with you guys for a picture for social media you know and you catch me on a certain angle i'm thinking that stomach looks really really larger (laughs) than normal and they don't call me three chins mcgee for nothing so then i don't want that to be put on social media so it might be oh guys can we just take that one again and get the angle in and i'm I've been on the breathe-in diet for quite a few years now. (laughs) And so 
we have to acknowledge it can be an issue for all of us, first of all. But I think also what we ought to need to appreciate is there is an underlying message that I think society, not every society, but a lot of society can send to any person, young or old. And that is, you're okay if dot, dot, dot. So you're okay if you look a certain way, if you've got the apps, if you've done this well in, in school or in business. And there's this, and, and guess what? If you want to be, you know, you're okay if you buy our product, you you wear this this perfume, you wear this particular fragrance aftershave, you buy this particular brand, then guess what? You're okay. And so what happens is young and old alike, to be fair, trying to try it right. If I buy this and I look good in that and I'm amazing and I'm feeling good and I'm look at my before and after pictures of I've been on the I've been on the snake diet or whatever that is and the keto diet and the plate whatever it is, diet, paleo, paleo, paleo. Yeah. The Plato diet is a Greek diet. It's all about, you've seen a lot of feta cheese. No, no, no. no. It's calamari and feta cheese, the Plato diet. It's amazing. As you can tell. Um, And, but then do you know what happens is once we've achieved that look and we've got that brand, we're all looking around thinking, why am I still not happy? Yeah, yeah. And so what I think is an underlying message, so it's a big picture, it's almost like a philosophical um, mindset rather than simply, here's your top tips, is we have to let kids know from an incredibly early age, you're okay. Full stop. Now, if you want to put a comma and you might want to lose some weight, think about getting into shape, taking some more exercise, those kind of things. But we need to, I think, help particularly younger people when they're going through so many biological changes. If they do want to improve themselves, get start from a place of self-acceptance rather than self-loathing. And so the world is telling you, you are okay if you do certain things. And I think we need to start from, you know what, you are okay. Mm-hmm. And... You might want to do this and you might want to do that. But you know what? If you didn't do brilliant in your exams, it doesn't mean I love you less. And if you do amazing in your exams, it doesn't actually mean I love you anymore. Of course, I'm proud if you do well. And yeah, if you didn't put the work in, I'm a little bit disappointed that you didn't do well in your exams. But you know what? My love for you is unconditional. It's not based on your achievements. It's based on my relationship with you, full stop, end of note. So I think there's almost like a, a philosophical approach to it. The other thing, going back to growth mindset, is sometimes... We, we can, and I think I slipped into this um, when my kids were really young, just telling them how amazing they were and you're <laughs> this and you're that. And actually just praise the kids for their efforts rather than always for their achievement. Yeah. So in a practical way, what did that look like? There's a culture in the UK that when kids have got their exam results, they get a present. They've done well. You're going to, you know, when some kids were moving into uh, higher education, they get a laptop. I mean, I know some friends who bought their, their daughter a car when she did really well in her exams. We made a decision with Matt and Ruth, my wife and I, that we said, you know what? They've studied hard for their exams. We don't know the results yet, but they've studied hard. So we gave them a reward before the results Mm. because we wanted to acknowledge their effort rather than simply their achievement. Mm. Now, I slipped into the, you know, as the the self-esteem movement in the 1990s of just telling your children they're just wonderful and amazing. But if I kept on being told I'm wonderful and amazing 
And then Pete says to the one of them, well, have you ever tried to do this? But what if I fail? All of a sudden, my whole identity of being wonderful and amazing crumbles. So actually, sometimes I don't try and do certain things because it might damage my self-esteem. So with kids, I think above all, get them out of their comfort zone, get them exercising, get them doing stuff, trying stuff, keep reminding them of fail, keep reminding them that you love them, full stop. And... And this whole thing around just accepting them just for who they are, not based on their achievement. It's a long answer, but it's a big, big, complex subject. But I think in a succinct way, just reward the effort, not the result. Make sure that they are aware they are enough. Um, you're okay. And uh, if you're not enough without those things, you'll never be enough with those things. So let's, you, you know, let's give you enough reference points for that, which I think you know, as a, a younger parent, you know, I've got kids that are closer to 30 than you've got kids that are closer to double digits in terms of 10. So you know, it doesn't really matter. I think this is all very important stuff for us to put into our kids' mindsets and even our own mindset to a degree. I find it incredibly refreshing these days um, that that there is choice as well. Like sometimes we feel, and, and, and kids and adults alike can feel stuck, like nothing can change. What I find really refreshing, I've had having a lot of conversations about this in recent times, is kids that are actually changing schools yeah. um, after, say, a year or two because the environment just doesn't suit. I, I just... You know, I just applaud the the parents to say, well done. My sister was one of them. You know, so not only um, was my niece goddaughter in, in, in a school that wasn't sort of working for her in terms of the environment, the girls' school, um, you know, it was, a, it was a bit clicky and, and so forth, but then goes to a, a, another school. Um, not only did she not enjoy the environment, she didn't enjoy school at all, but now she's got both. And it's like, wow, I yeah. didn't realize this was here. So we're not, we can change. We're not a tree. We're not stuck. Yep. We can yep. move. We can yep. change. We can get influenced by different people. But it's, it's about being open to that. It's a little bit like Jules's um, conversation on last week's um, episode around, you know, 20 somethings and, and, and change, do something different, do something different. It's almost between 20 and 30. You need to go and have 10 or 20 jobs. But we instinctively think, no, no, do something, stick at it. Well, you know, that could, that could be where unhappiness is sort of coming from. So mm. it's sort of, you've got to get balanced that out though. Like you just don't want to change for the sake of change. Yeah. It's, I mean, the whole uh, – we've got to make peace with paradox, um, which like is this sense, mm. with this sense in which sometimes, you know, there's this phrase, you know, um, a quitter never wins and a winner never quits. And it's like, great, so always be persistent. But, you know, sometimes you've got to go, you know what, I've had a lot of feedback here and this is not working out mm. for me. This is not my area of expertise. I'm not thriving. I'm not flourishing. I've had coaching. I've had training. I've given myself a lot of time. Actually, the great news is sometimes it's quite liberating to quit and to close that door because when you close that door, you make yourself open and available to see another door open. And sometimes that's the appropriate advice to give. You just say, and maybe it is time to quit here. There are other times when you go, no, you need to hang on in there. The fascinating thing about when you talk about we all do have a choice, again, we don't always appreciate that. So sumo, shut up, move on, stop, understand, move on. Sumo is a word, not as an acronym, but as a word in Latin means choose. Right. And I suppose a lot of what I'm trying to do in life is to give, try and help people to understand, one, you do have a choice um, and you can do something about your situation. You know, your tomorrow can be different from today if you want it to be. Now, it's not going to transform in 24 hours, but you can make a choice. Literally, someone listening right now in the next 30 minutes after you stop listening to this podcast, you can make a choice. You really can to make one small step in one area of your life 
in the right direction. You can choose to do that. And then you can choose to do another small step. And maybe you've got a big goal, but maybe the big goal starts with small steps. Have that goal, have that vision, and, and realise you do have some choices. Going back to the thing around, um, thinking about children now thriving in a different environment, it's about the plant again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The plant didn't change, but all of a sudden you change it from being in full sunlight to partial shade, yep. and suddenly it's thriving. Sometimes rather than watering it daily, and it needs it weekly. So this whole thing around environment to help people thrive is hugely important, rather than going, it's all about your mindset and your attitude. Of course, that's crucial. But some friends of ours who did have challenges with their daughter, who was really in an environment which was was incredibly positive, but whatever was happening in her head and at school was not working for her. So they decided to homeschool her. And um, in the UK, we've just had like some exam results for for, for children uh, aged 15 and 16. But because she's been homeschooled, she's taken her exams earlier, some exams when she's 14. And she's just knocked it out of the park. They changed the environment and they're changing the outcome. Mm. Mm. Which is very, very important as you talk about, you know, plants are a bit like people, but the difference is plants come with the care instructions. This is how this person's going to thrive. Uh, yeah. you know, we don't get that with people, do we? Which I remember reading in one of your books. That's right. Because you've written so many, as Pete uh, highlighted earlier at the start. But. Yeah, how to have a great life. And it is, yeah. I sometimes, you know, I do like gardening. And um, when you go to that garden centre, it is basically saying, like, I presume it's the same here. Which It's not quite literally saying this on this little card, but it's saying something along the lines of, if you want to get the best out of me for this, for me to thrive as a plant, as a bush, whatever, this is what you need to do. But with people, we don't get that card. And that's why, I don't know if you've got time to talk about it. I talked about, well, what are the seven C's yeah. to thrive? No, we want to get there. And I think that's the, the care instructions for plants are very clear. Yeah. The care instructions for human beings is a little bit more obscure. And I think the reason why it's so obscure is because most people internally don't even know what it would take for them to be happy. Like they think, when I get the car I want, once I've got the postcode I want, once I've got the person who understands me in life, once I've got the promotion or the title, then I'll be happy. Whereas I think your sort of teachings over our association together now, which dates back now more than a decade Paul, is to talk about, you know, how to be enough without all those things so that when all those things come along, they're almost like the icing on the cake, not the building of the foundation of the layer cake. Sure. And so the seven C's, let's go through that because I think that that's yeah, going to be I critical. Think the, the point, and it's it's not my quote, and it is a bit of a cheesy one, but the keys to your happiness are in your own pocket. And I think we go looking externally. And I think for me in the past, I've thought about, well, I'll be happy if this person could change or that would happen and rather than go, actually, the keys to my happiness are in my own pocket. In terms of, yeah, the seven C's to thrive, just giving people seven areas really to reflect on. Um, It could be in work. It could be in just your relationship with yourself. But just generally have a little bit of time out and think, okay, about these seven C's. The first one is simply about clarity. So sometimes people aren't – people – we assume people have got a motivation problem and it's not that they're not motivated. It's they've not really got a clarity or sense of purpose about what they want to achieve, whether that's in home, in their health or even in work. People aren't always going to be thriving in work and you're not getting the best out of yourself in work because sometimes you've not got a real clarity on what you're supposed to be achieving. And also people don't know what success looks like. I remember there was a history teacher in the UK who got a bit of criticism for this because she basically... The student who'd done the best history essay, with this person's permission, she photocopied it and gave it to all the other kids. And rather than say to the other kids, you didn't do swell on that history um, essay, try harder, 
she said, this was what was a great essay. This is what success looks like. So you've got to now when you start again, you know, so even just having a clarity and a sense of purpose about what you're trying to do, whether it be in work or in life generally, is absolutely crucial. So a clear model, just a clear model to follow. Be very clear, clarity. Also, am I competent? And what I mean by that is we do need to thrive in life. We need to be good at something. But sometimes the reason we're not good at it is because we've not had the training. Um, we've not had the, the tools to do a good job or we've not had the technology that we need. So some people are not doing well in life and actually they just need some, they're not competent and they just need some coaching, some training, some support. I know in the UK, loads of people say, I hate doing presentations. Well, have you been trained on how to do them really effectively? No. Mm. So I need some sense of clarity. I need to feel competent in what I'm doing. And if people at the moment are going, well, I don't feel very good at that. Fine. There is so much available out there that you can acquire, often for free of charge. Get on and do it. The third element, I think, to help people thrive is they do need a degree of confidence. And I'm not talking about arrogance and, again, looking at myself in the mirror going, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger. But there has to be that sense of self-belief. And I think very often confidence and competence go very hand mm. in hand. So when I'm standing up in the stage speaking at a conference, I feel confident. Why? Because I feel competent. I yeah. know I'm good at what I do. Yeah. If we're going for a drive, Rick, and you get a flat tyre and you go, Paul, can you help me change the wheel? Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> and the reason, and suddenly I will lack confidence in knowing how to help you. The reason is because I'm not competent. So, and also, why aren't people always comp confident? I think sometimes they don't get encouragement or feedback from other people. Mm. So, where's my clarity? Um, am I competent? Have I got the tools, the training and the technology to do well in whatever it is I want to do well in? Am I, how confident am I? Um, the fourth one, this is a very interesting one, is... Am I comfortable in my environment? And very often that environment is like the people that you're with. So let's, with you guys, we could we could talk all day. We can have a laugh. We can have a joke. We can have incredible banter. You at some stage in this podcast, Rick, will do an impression of me. But the fact I is, may already hopefully... Have of, I may already have of and <laughs> just don't I know just, it. It just went over my head. But the bottom line is, why can I talk so fluidly and fluently and, and honestly is because I feel really comfortable with you. But what if, I think sometimes people don't thrive because they don't feel comfortable in their environment and the people that are around, they feel intimidated. So they don't feel safe, they don't feel comfort, that's they like, don't feel like they belong. That's actually really interesting on, on um, Paul on this podcast. It's amazing the guests we've had on and they come on and then all of a sudden they, they see the setup and now it's, it's obvious to everyone what our setup looks like and they're like, oh, this actually looks quite serious. And you actually sort of said that, um, sort of paraphrasing what you said sort of earlier. And then when they – and they're like, oh, okay, I'm not really – I don't know what I'm going to say or I don't know if they're going to really – this is going to be interesting or whatever it may be. And, you know, by the end of it, they're like, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> I could um, – can we do it again? Can we, can we stay on? And um, it's really interesting. And, and that's what it's, it probably is. It, it's good to know that we are making people feel comfortable – um, in this sort of environment, and that's that's who Rick, uh, Rick and myself are. And it's interesting. I, I think after the first, I think it was Bianca Chatfield was the first one that said to me after about five or six podcasts, yeah, "It's like Pete, this, that's that's this not, not you. you. Just relax, you know. <laughs> Just and be like, yourself." Oh, okay. So then let's start the band. Let's get yeah, have, have real conversations because yeah. we were kind of concerned about you know just making it too 
to um, you know make sure we were you know dotting our eyes, crossing our T's, and getting the dot on the lowercase J. And then Bianca said, "That's just not you, Pete." And I remember you <laughs> telling me that. And then we had a guess. I'll just he'll remain nameless, but I could pretty well tell he wanted this over and done with. So he sort of made it a very tight time frame. At the end of it, he kind of went. That was really good. I wouldn't mind doing that again. And I said to Pete, because we gave him a really safe and supportive environment where he could do it. I said to him, don't you have another meeting to go to? He goes, yeah, I do. But uh, I wouldn't mind doing that again. Like, And, and mm. he was, we were almost booting him out of the room so we could get on with our own day. And so I knew he'd set up a very narrow period of time because he didn't think he was going to enjoy it. Then he got through. So I think that's setting up a, a, an environment where you belong where we value you, we appreciate you, we care for what you're going to share with our information because we care about our audience and you're giving sort of value. So we've got clarity, we've got obviously competence and we've obviously got the confidence, which I think is obviously important. You know, keep going through your... uh, Feeling comfortable, as we've said, which you guys do brilliantly do. Um, The other one is feeling, we do need to feel challenged. And I use the example of the, the rubber band. And if... The rubber band, if you just if you imagine holding up a rubber band now and there's no stretch, that that rubber band is not doing what it was designed to do. And I think sometimes people aren't thriving because actually they're not being stretched. They're not being challenged. They need maybe a, a fresh, you know, a new job. I mean, some people go, well, I've been here for 15 years and not enjoying it. Well, guess what? Maybe no matter how well you're managed... You, you need to move jobs. You need to find a fresh challenge. Um, the, but the other perspective to have sometimes is people's rubber band has been stretched incredibly far for so long and they are very close to snapping. And so, again, it's, it's reflecting and weighing up. And, and sometimes there will be seasons where you do feel overstretched and you need to build in what I call that recovery time. But am I, am I challenging myself enough because I'm not really thriving? Sometimes you think, oh, yeah, that rubber band, it's all slack. That's the easy life. I'm on the beach for three weeks. Mm. You know what? After three weeks on the beach, I'm bored. We need that stretch. We need that challenge. And I think, again, some of your listeners may be realising, I'm not thriving at the moment because I've got a bit stale. Mm. I've got almost too comfortable in my environment. So we need to make peace with paradox. I'm telling you, one, it's good to be comfortable, but I'm also saying sometimes you can get too comfortable and that can lead to complacency. That's a bit like the uh, ships are safe in port, but it's not what ships were built for. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And the, the so again, just recap, clarity, competence, confident, comfortable, challenged. And the point actually that you've already mentioned, um, Rick, so you jumped ahead of the game here, but then he has read my book, mm-hmm. um, is I talk about feeling cared for. Do And I know that uh, with my relationship, particularly with you, Rick, and hopefully it'll develop with you, Pete, maybe one day. I don't know. Although, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tough one to crack. He's well, a, he is, and he's also a Liverpool fan. We yeah. do have issues around yeah, that yeah. as a proud Mancunian. Um, but do I feel I am cared for? Do I feel that maybe my colleagues, my boss, even sometimes my family members have got my back? And actually someone, I was working with an organisation going through the seven seas to thrive. And I'll tell you the final one in a moment. But this woman came up to me and she said, you have really helped me today. Because, and I get, I kind of do this model where you can score yourself in these seven areas on a scale of one to ten. And if you're scoring high, you're in the green zone. And if it's kind of mid-range, you're in the amber zone. And if you're scoring low, you're in the red zone. And she said to me, I scored in the green zone in six out of these seven areas, which normally you'd kind of go, well, that's great. She said, but there is one that is a red zone. And the red zone is, I don't feel that that my, my bosses care for me. 
I am very productive. I'm very effective. I am successful, but I don't think they've got my back. And I think if I had a problem or a crisis, I'm not sure how much I would be supported by them. I think I'm, they like me because I'm performing well. And she basically said to me, which is a bit embarrassing because the company had hired me to work with this org with them. Is she said, I've known for a while, I'm not happy here. And I didn't understand why, but now I do. So, we may keep in touch, we may not, Paul, but I need you to know today you've helped me decide why I need to leave this company because they didn't feel cared for. The final one is is around control. Um, we're in this, I think some people now have been conditioned to be told what to do, but in order to thrive, remember what the whole purpose of these seven C's is. It's not just to get through life, it's to thrive if we are micromanaged, if we're doing life and we feel we just lack control in all sorts of areas of our lives, we will not thrive. Now, there are things that are out of our control. I appreciate that. And in the UK, I think buying and selling a property is a lot harder than, and less straightforward than it is in Australia. But why can moving house, particularly in the UK, be really stressful? Because there's a lot of factors that are out of your control. So in life, when we feel, one, sometimes we feel we lack any sense of control or influence. And going back to your point, Pete, you know, maybe you've got more control and influence than you realise. But sometimes there is, we are over-controlled by other people and we are micromanaged. And so with one of my colleagues at work, Kev, um, he takes his breaks when he wants to take them. He has his lunch when he wants to take his lunch. Um, he, however long he wants to take for his lunch, he takes. And actually, um, we kind of pay him, we, we, we pay him and we pay him well, I believe, but we pay him above all for his outcomes, not always just for the hours he's there. And if, if, if Kev's getting the, achieving the outcomes, if he says, actually, I'm, I'm leaving at three o'clock today, that's all good by us. I want to empower him to have some control. And sometimes I'm saying, right, uh, you know, in the next three days, Kev, there are six things we need to achieve here. But I don't go, unless it's a real priority, it needs to be done today, and I'll point that out. But but basically, next three days, these six things need doing. Um, the order he does them in, how he prioritizes them, I leave completely with him. Now, if he was a very, if he was a new starter, I'd maybe do that a little bit differently. Mm. But people need to appreciate a couple of things, and to summarize that control one. One, if I, there are areas I'm going to lack control in, just acknowledge that. But maybe there's certain things I can take more control on. I need to take responsibility for that. And if you happen to be in a relationship with someone where you manage them or you're a parent or whatever, are you actually perhaps guilty of over-controlling them? Because if you are, they will not thrive and they will not flourish. So if you wanted to do a quick recap, where's your sense of clarity, both in work and in your personal life? Competency. How good are you? You know, do you need some extra training, tools or technology to help you do better? Where's your confidence at? How comfortable are you, particularly with the kind of people that you're hanging around with? That rubber band, is it slack and it's been like that for a while or is it overstretched? We need an appropriate sense of challenge. Do I feel cared for? And then finally, how much control actually have I got in certain situations? And sometimes I mean, I've got more than I realize. That's your seventh C's to thrive incredible things to to not only take back to your team but i i think to look internally within yourself yeah the inside um out. yeah exactly right it's it's an old adage isn't it that you um help yourself before you help others fit your own oxygen mask first mm. and i think sometimes we 
we get a little guilty of, of, of trying to um, push it onto other people rather than to seek uh, seek these things ourselves. And Clarity, I mean, all all seven of them, Paul, are absolutely magnificent. They just, each and every one resonated with me, that's for sure. I think, and if I was to think about, because I probably twist uh, put a, a slight different spin on it, I think when you think about the cared for, actually, we need to feel that we're cared for. But again, actually, the priority is I need to take responsibility for caring for myself. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I, I say, you know, self-care isn't selfish. It's crucial to your success and your sanity. And I, you know, um, listening more to your podcast recently, I think my morning rituals have changed Um as I've thought more about things like my breathing, my stretching, my exercising, my diet, and I was kind of like fairly aware of it, but I now realize as a guy who's just turned 55, my self-care is hugely important. I want to have the energy to keep on doing what I'm doing for years. And I don't know how long I'll have on this planet, but let's control the controllables. And so I need to feel cared for by others to help me feel to thrive. But actually, I need to start with how much am I caring for myself? That's crucial. And you loop it back because, you know, we all want to control things, but there are some things we can't control in life, but we can control the meaning we both link to it and our response to that stimulus, whatever that looks like. And that gets back to one of your earlier points, which I think is fundamentally important. I think the other thing about a modern workforce is that's just the way the workforce is going. It's to say we have lunch between 12 and 1 and where were you at 101. Um, that shouldn't really matter if the outcomes are being measured more than the clock because we don't want to lead our people to you know clock on and then check out. We want them to come to, to work to be productive. And as you say, if it takes them 12 hours to do it or two, who realistically cares? But I think Pete and, our, and my focus this whole time with you is always to be what can we do from the inside out? What are some very simple strategies that – I as a person can make some choices here because I know that once I make the right choices, uh, those choices will make me. So if I can get them right, what are they going to look like? Any last sort of messages you can share with our audience that you think can actually, you know, give us some fast track to success if there's such a thing? You know that um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Dr. Dr. Stephen Covey's book, one of them is Begin With The End In Mind. And I think about that in all kinds of situations and contexts. You know, we're going to have a meeting. Okay, not just what we're going to talk about, but what's our outcome going to be. But I want you to think about this. For me, I found this quite profound. Um, If you mention the name Alfred Nobel, people think, oh, yeah, Nobel. Is that the Peace Prize for economics, for chemistry? And you go, yeah, actually it is. Alfred Nobel is associated with this with, with a legacy that has gone on for over 100 years after his death that's made a real difference to humanity. But let's rewind to, well, what was Alfred Nobel's life like to begin with? Well, he was a chemist, he was an engineer, he was an inventor, um, and his family basically manufactured armaments. And Alfred Nobel, many years ago, was known for being the inventor of dynamite. Hmm. His brother, Ludwig, died. Tragic, sad. Especially for Ludwig. (laughs) Only you could say that, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, the media, because Alfred Nobel was pretty well known, um, the media got hold of the wrong end of the story and they thought Alfred had died. So the next morning, Alfred obviously wakes up feeling rather sad that his brother's departed, but opens the newspaper and reads his own obituary which is quite a profound thing to think mm, yeah. about. What would people say about you after you've gone? Yep. Begin with the end in mind. And it was a six-word headline to describe his life on this planet. The merchant of death is dead. 
And he read about how someone that's equipped the world to be able to kill more people faster than ever before yesterday died. Nobel is absolutely stunned by his legacy and what people are going to remember him by. He's got no partner, uh, no kids, but he's got a lot of money. And it was as a result of reading about what his own obituary that he kind of thought, I need to leave a different legacy. And that's how the Nobel Prizes came into being. And what's the story? How does that relate to us? I sometimes think, you know, what would I like people to say about me after I've gone? You know, and if I and I've sometimes challenged people to go, if you had to sum up your life in six words and maybe they're separate words, but maybe it was a sentence. What would that sentence be? And, and the one I came up with for myself, not I don't think incredibly profound at all, but he made people laugh and think. And I do want to make people laugh. And I realize when I'm talking about personal development, <clears throat> I do want you to think. I do want you to stop and understand and, and stop you in your tracks and think about things like what fail means and we're okay, full stop, but we're okay and not okay if. But I also want to do it with a sense of humor. And if if when people would say at my funeral, you know what, that McGee bloke, I know he supported Wigan and Bradford City. Mm. That was a bizarre one. Mm. And I know he had a strange accent, but you know what? He made people laugh and think. And if that was my six-word headline to describe my life, I'd cope with that. Now, if I want to achieve that as my begin with the end in mind, yeah. then I rewind and think, what do I do today? How do I live my life what are my actions that do make people laugh and think? And I think that's a great one for Brilliant. people listening now to or watching this podcast just to think about what do I want people to say about me after I've gone. Well, you've certainly made us laugh and think. And, and after you write 11 books, there's incredible uh, incredible insights into life. And, and, and the fact that you continue writing, continue you know sharing, uh, some amazing sort of stories and insights into how do people not only just survive in life, but how do you thrive in life? Because that's the big thing. Mm. And I'm very big with our team on on and strategies rather than all strategies. Mm. And that's what you spoke of. You know, I like. I'm going to change it now to and strategies rather than or or if strategies. Mm. We go to the and strategies. So. Um, Paul, you know, the gift of your time has been incredible today, for, not only for us but for our listeners. Um, you're the first uh, first uh, guest that we've had on twice now. There you really. go. Yeah, it was season one and season two. You're almost a regular. Um, not too sure if Sumo will gain you a Nobel Peace Prize for Literature, but it probably should. But look, if not, you do get the – Voices of Value mug. Uh, we're going to give it to each of our guests in awesome. episode two so that wherever you are in the world, you can take a sip from the cup, the cup of Voices of Value, where you get absolute gold, the cup of gems, truth. the cup of truth. Uh, you've been very good at it. Uh, it's fair to say, my friend, that uh, and it'll be a long way down the track, but uh, you will die before me because I've bequeathed that. Um, if I am at your <laughs> funeral, uh, I will be laughing, not so much for the fact that you're gone, but for the absolute impact you've left for everybody behind us. So I only say this with all sincerity because we do muck around a lot, but 
if you hang out with this guy as much as I have, I had the great fortune of traveling with him. Um, you know, he has been to 42 countries, I think, uh, around the globe sharing the sumo message and he is in high demand. He is somebody who can simplify the complex. He delivers it in a typical Mancunian way. I know we lost Ron earlier in this podcast as soon as he said he was a Manchester man. Ron's just <laughs> left us go the Reds. I understand that. But uh, he delivers it with, he just says it as it is, no bull. Here's how you can do it if you want to do it. His lifestyle doesn't get affected whether you use any of the sumo principles or not but yours may very well make sure you google paul mcgee his books are out by capstone he's capstone's number one author of all time capstone is linked to wiley if you've got a business book by wiley you're looking at capstone and you're looking at a man who's got 11 count them 11 books published by one of the best business book uh, publishers in the world cannot go through an airport anywhere in the world without seeing one of his books on the bookshelf so it must tell you something so paul on behalf of all of our listeners you are somebody who's added great value already in season one you, you're giving yourself so much here on uh, season two and uh, i'm pretty sure there's going to be another follow-up with with, with paul and uh yeah, maybe great. maybe live from anfield or oh well <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Wigan Athletic. I'm just feeling slightly nauseous at the moment. I do apologise, guys. I'm going to have to leave the room. There we go. It's all Paul McGee has left the building. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much. And uh, Pete and I are very, very thankful to have you, not just on this video, but a resource we can tap into. Uh, we'll have all of Paul's website links up on the actual uh, podcast. He's uh, links through to his site, uh, The Sumo Guy. And most importantly, you can follow his very short, sharp, very quick, you know, two or three minute blasts that are on YouTube that are absolute gold, I would think. So uh, on behalf of everybody at Voices of Value, thank you for coming thank back. Thank you, Paul McGee. Thank you, guys. It's been great as ever. If you do like the content, please rate it. We ask you to share it. Most importantly, we make sure that we uh, see you again next week when we'll have another great Voice of Value. Thank you for listening. We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton, Peter Kakos, and their valued guests. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source, and we love to hear both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced through our website, voicesofvaluepodcast.com. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice and the value-added way.